0: Well, good afternoon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show A Balanced Life for You, where you design the life of your dreams. I'm your host today, Rhonda Cimarelli. I'm a transformational coach and NLP practitioner, and today I have a very awesome guest. Her name is Lillian Sinperi, and Lillian, the best way I want to in- introduce her because I just I love her story and her journey, and she is really just um, a traveling gypsy on a journey from head to heart. Lillian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rhonda. I'm so delighted you're here, and I can't tell you how excited I am to share your story because Lillian and I have met uh, quite a while ago at some training events, and I have been a fan of yours for quite some time now as I like to think I'm kind of living through your experiences sometimes. And as we get into your your story you're going to understand why I'm saying this. So if we might, Lillian, take a moment and let's just kind of tell the folks a little bit about your background. We're going to do this a little different today. So we're going to hear a little bit about your background and maybe some of your previous experiences. Would you be okay sharing that? Absolutely.
1: Would love to. So um, I am 57 years old, and I recently, 27 months ago, retired from Miami-Dade Fire Rescue as a firefighter and paramedic. And I also spent 30 years as a fitness trainer uh, running my own fitness business called Choose Your Life. Um, I've also been traveling extensively pretty much my entire life since I was a little kid. My family has been able to make that possible for me, and I picked up where they left off once I became a young adult and began traveling the world extensively. Um, I currently am retired for 27 months, and I picked up this RV and took off on a journey from my head to my heart. Well.
0: I love that. So let's go back to some of the jobs that you used to do, and you said you were a firefighter and a fitness trainer. Is that right? Firefighter, paramedic, and a fitness trainer, yes. That has a lot going on. So tell me, how does that work for, how does that look
1: for a life? You know, what what does that involve? So all three of those career choices required me to be the kind of person I am, which was a... By nature, I'm a rescuer, uh, supporter, fixer, um, a healer, and I and a teacher. Um, and it would start with me, first of all, becoming a fitness trainer at the age of 26, because a fitness trainer changed my life at the age of 26. I basically had spent the ages of 13 to 26. Um, living in a body that I really didn't love. In fact, I treated it very poorly and I was very unhealthy and ate very badly and never did any kind of sports. Um, I opted instead to skip phys ed class and take off and uh, go party and hang out with boys and motorcycles and partying meant pretty much everything out there to party with until about 26 years old when I just was sick and tired of being that person, and I got together with a fitness trainer who changed my life. Um, In one year, I completely shifted my body from something I couldn't stand living in to something I was incredibly proud of and felt healthy and strong and in control of my physical self again, and I began competing as a bodybuilder and winning everything that I competed in, Um, and that made me just want to go on and share this, transformation with everyone in the world, who would listen to me? So I went and became a (laughs) certified fitness trainer and began um, helping and supporting others in finding a way to come to peace and to terms with their fitness and health. Um, Over time, I learned that that was more than just a physical effort, that really in order to come um, to peace with our bodies, we had to also come to peace with our minds and our spirits. So I branched out more and became more of a health coach and more of a mind-body health practitioner. Um, but what I found is that as a fitness trainer, I had uh, dollars-for-hours kind of income. If I worked, I made money, and if I didn't work, I didn't make money. I had no security. I had no pension, no 401K, no paid vacations, no medical coverage. So at the age of 36, after 10 years of fitness training, I decided I needed to get my ducks in a row in terms of the future. And in terms of security in the present, and I tried out for and was able to pass the very difficult fitness agility test and all of the background checks and other requirements to become a firefighter and paramedic with Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. So I became a firefighter and continued that career for 19 years. That allowed me to work as a firefighter paramedic for 24-hour shift and then be off for 48 hours. And during those 48 hours, I could do what I truly was passionate about, which was continue to be a fitness trainer and a health coach. Um, Every three weeks, my business allowed me, I mean, I'm sorry, my uh, firefighting gives us five days off. And during those five days, I would usually travel. Uh, whether it was just a kayaking trip uh, two, three mo- two, three hours up the road or a week or two-week trip by putting together and swapping days with other firefighters, I was able to take lots and lots of vacations. However, for three mm-hmm. weeks, I would work 60 to 100 hours a week straight between my two gigs as a firefighter and a fitness trainer, and then I would take off for four or five days to two weeks. And that's how I continued for close to 20 years. Wow, that's a lot of stuff, Lillian, and and I have to
0: say, I didn't realize part of your story about prior to becoming a fitness instructor, I didn't realize how many parallels that we actually had. I, you know, I can relate because I, too, was that that teenager that avoided gym and school and I would do anything to not have to do it, and I uh, also did everything that I wasn't supposed to do, (laughs) Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. and I didn't
0: really get into the fitness scene until, and I had kids really, really early, so... Um, I can remember at probably 25, uh, you know, going to an all-women's gym and I was so out of shape after a car wreck and treating my body poorly and, you know, having all kinds of issues. I can remember getting on a treadmill and I could barely breathe. And Mm -hmm. it was only a couple of years after that that I too was in such a place where, you know, the body's in so much better shape and you feel so much healthier and you can appreciate life. Uh, became certified. I did a little bit later, about age 30. But I think that's... Uh, I had no idea we had such parallels with that. Although I can't say I was a firefighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but That's a lot of stuff going on. Well, so walk us through... So you did this, you said, for 20, 20 years. Is that right? Yeah, just shy
1: of 20, 19 years.
0: 19 years working 60 to 100 hours and then taking five days off. And it sounds like... Your five days was really that time to recoup and do something for yourself. Is that maybe what that was?
1: Yes, for me it felt like I had a balanced life at the time because though I worked 60 to 100 hours a week, I was never resentful of the work. I loved my work. I loved all of it. I was happy, excited, uh, also taking really great care of myself, working out regularly, uh, eating well. So I really felt healthy and balanced. Um, And those days off that I was given, the five days off, I would take off and go hiking and kayaking and camping and pretty much spend much of that time outdoors. But as I said, I also would combine um, my time off from the fire department with swapping my shifts with other firefighters and giving all of my clients written programs to sustain themselves until I got back for mm-hmm. sometime 10 days or two weeks. So I took lots and lots of breaks. So I really felt like between the two, I was very balanced. What wasn't really working for me, and I didn't know until my body finally let me know, was that even when I was taking time off, I was a massive doer. I was planning huge vacations for myself plus at least two or three or five or 10 or 20 other people. I was always the big vacation organizer, whether it was two boats of 15 people around the canals of Holland or uh, trips for a group of people to Machu Picchu and diving the Galapagos, whatever it was. Um, I was always a massive planner and a perfectionist duaholic. So a kayaking trip would require me to pack everything that Six people would need uh, to have fun, the games, the drinks, the food, the activities, all preplanned, all the reservations. I just really was such a planner and such a doaholic that unbeknownst to me, my, my body, even though my spirit was happy and high to be doing all of this, my body was breaking down from so much doing and so little actual rest. There was no meditation. There was no do nothing. There was no lie on a beach and just read a book for days. That just was never going to happen. So I'm that's curious. when, that's when a big shift happened in my life when my body finally said, it's not actually well balanced. You're actually just doing too much. Even in your downtime, it's, you're a doaholic.
0: That's amazing. So I'm curious from your perspective of somebody who is such a doer and a planner and perfectionist, you know, and you said yourself, you thought you were living a balanced life. When your body started to break down and talk to you, did it really take you by
1: surprise? It came completely out of left field and knocked me completely off my feet. Um, I was... At the time, training and actively involved in several athletic events from my regular bodybuilding, not competing anymore, but just really working hard on being a strong, fit woman so that I could continue to be a firefighter, which requires an enormous Mm -hmm. amount of strength and endurance. So in the gym and out running every day, plus I did, um, at the time, I was doing lots of Um, These things called mud runs or obstacle courses, the Spartan Mm -hmm. races and stuff like that. So I was in the midst of training for all of those things and suddenly developed um, a sift called a baker's sift behind one knee. So I could no longer run and eventually I couldn't even squat down and bend to sit down without being in excruciating pain behind the knee. Um, doctors worked on draining the cysts four times and trying to discover other, you know, reasons for it, and then suddenly I started having horrible feet pain, and then my wrists started hurting so that I couldn't grab things and lift things. As a firefighter, of course, that that pretty much put me out of work um, and then jaw pain and then neck pain and back pain and it began with mysterious pains all over my body and I had to just keep taking time off and it all happened in less than a month. Every part of my body was taking turns or overlapping with pain. Um, at the same time, I began to be depressed about the fact that I couldn't work anymore. I was taking lots and lots of time off and and apologizing to my clients profusely for having to be there in a limited capacity. Um, and eventually, it became much more than that. I was going to have blood tests and all sorts of MRIs and medical assessments, and they were discovering that I had become a very serious case of adrenal fatigue, almost complete Adrenal failure, uh, hypoglycemic, hyponatremia, hypothyroid. So I began to have endocrine functional um, function or dysfunctions, um, which began to lead to other problems in terms of my my psyche, my brain. I couldn't sleep at night. I I became. Um, insomniac, which had never happened. I would be tossing and turning all night and tired all day and foggy and forgetful, and it just, it was a quick spiral downward. I would say that in about six weeks to two months, I couldn't work anymore, just couldn't do anything, and all of the doctors, a team of doctors, endocrinologists, uh, bone doctors, muscle doctors, organ doctors, um, couldn't help me. Um, i turned to western i turned from Western medicine to Eastern medicine I began um, all sorts of chinese medicines a ten month fruit fast acupuncture reiki healing. Um, sacro-cranial, meditation. I went on 10-day meditation retreats, and uh, I pretty much did everything there was out there to try to support me Mm. to bring myself back to balance. But it seemed like everything was too little too late, and I was not able to get myself up and running. In fact, I just kept getting worse and worse and worse all the time.
0: Wow. That must have been so difficult for you. And with with such a drastic change in your lifestyle, taking over, as you said, six to eight weeks, how was that
1: affecting you mentally and emotionally? So I really have to say, you know, physically, I've overcome lots and lots of injuries, um, broken bones, cracked open head. I've had all kinds of things happen to me. And mm-hmm. I've always known that, ah, I'll get strong, I'll get well, I'll heal. I've always known that my body is my friend because I was able to overcome years of eating disorders and, and, you know, bad behavior and bad, bad, bad physical ways of living. But in this case, I was actually getting really scared. I was thinking, wow, everything I know and all of my faith in my body's ability to heal itself is getting me nowhere, and all of the experts uh, that I've ever been able to turn to for support can't seem to put me back together again. So mostly I was really scared, and I was becoming very depressed because I had spent my life preparing myself to have a fantastic second half of my life. I was fifty. About 53 years old, 54 years old, when things started to crash, and I was nowhere near ready to settle down into an inactive lifestyle and become uh, a sedentary old person. On the contrary, I had really prepared myself to travel for the rest of my life, to retire and climb Mm -hmm. mountains and and swim rivers and do everything that I'd ever said I was going to do when I no longer had to work Mm full-time. So it was so depressing, you... it was scary, mm-hmm. um, and it was really um, demoralizing. It, it crushed my ego, you know? It really, really killed me in terms of who I thought I was.
0: Well, uh, we're going to take a little turn in this story because at this point, everybody listening is going, oh my gosh, so you've shared with us that, you know, you're 57 and we know, or at least I know, that this is not who you are today. This is not what's going on today. So... What I would love to do is take a little insight. I don't want the whole beans to be spilled, but would you share with us, are you still in the same physical pain that you were just a few years ago?
1: Absolutely not. I can tell you that I have pretty much no pain anywhere, no brain fog. I sleep like a baby. I am climbing mountains, I'm river rafting, hiking, mountain biking. I'm doing everything that I thought I would be doing before the crash came. And I'm doing it all over America and all over the world. And I feel like a million dollars. I feel better than I ever thought I could again.
0: All right, so here's what everybody wants to know. What shifted and then what did you, well, first let's do that. What shifted in you? Because you've worked with medicine, Western medicine. You've gone to Eastern medicine. You were very scared, depressed. You felt demoralized. This was just not the dream that you had in your head. You were not ready to call it quits by any means. So what was the shift? What happened?
1: So the shift began when I um, took a personal growth workshop called the Gratitude Trainings. It's a relative more or less four or five month training. Um, and it fitted in with my life during that crash. I, I continued to go to the trainings despite feeling terrible and not being able to go to work and so on and so forth. Um, and those trainings really opened up a whole new perspective about who I was and how I was showing up in the world. And although I, I had Taken many personal growth workshops before, and I really cognitively understood the concepts. I hadn't actually been able to have those concepts land in my heart in a way that had me really see how I was showing up in the world, how I was living as a controller, as a doaholic, as a know-it-all, as a perfectionist. Um, I hadn't really. Felt like the real pain of constant self um, criticism and self judgment, and the need to constantly do more, be more, have more, create more, fix more um, in order to be worthy, in order to be okay, Mm -hmm. in order to feel loved or lovable. So that course really had me see that. And um, I decided, as scary as it was, to quit everything I was doing, to quit being a firefighter six years shy of full retirement, which would mean letting go of this perfect plan I had to retire in six years with X amount of money in the bank, X amount of things paid off, no more debt, house paid, this paid, everything paid. Um, I had a perfect plan in place to Um, be in the relationship I was in and travel intermittently and come back to the home I had finished paying off. All of these plans I had to let go of. And imagine now that not working as a fitness trainer meant, and not working as a firefighter, that I would no longer be able to define myself by those two careers. I would no longer be able to define myself as a fitness enthusiast, as a person who can hike and climb and do all of these things. I would no longer be able to define myself as a woman who was inspiring and teaching people. I would no longer be able to define myself by anything that I was doing. But instead, I was going to quit all of my careers, all of my plans, buy an RV and take off for six months, travel the world, and practice just being. Not necessarily doing anything, but just being connected to nature and traveling around the world, connecting with other human beings. However, that showed up. I made a huge amount of plans initially. I planned out the whole first six months. And within the first couple of weeks, I started laughing at myself and realizing that that was just more of what I do. So I tore up the whole plan, and I basically just put my finger on a map and started heading north. And once I let go of all the plans and just allowed the universe to throw options at me every day, and I would pick the option that seemed the best for me in the moment, Sometimes that option would turn into a total disaster and have a a breakdown in in my RV and end up having to go to a different location to find a mechanic. And once there, I would meet different people who would tell me about other options. And then I would take off in a whole new direction. And once I began trusting that there is no need to make a plan, I don't have to know everything in advance, I can make mistakes. I can be fallible, I can screw up, I can look bad, I can ask for support daily, many times a day, and it's okay, I don't know everything, I'm not a perfectionist. Once I got comfortable with all of that, my symptoms just started disappearing so quickly, it was actually kind of freaky. Like I'd wake up in the morning and a pain that was extreme in my hands or my wrists would just be gone. And the more I trusted that everything was perfect, even all the mistakes and the screw-ups, the more I took risks and went places I would never normally go and hung out with people I would never normally hang out with and connected with people and places and things that showed up, not because I planned on it, but because it just showed up. So I trusted there must be a reason for it the more I slept like a baby and woke up well. And so this six-month journey became the journey from my head, from being a planner, an organizer, a perfectionist, to my heart, to just trusting that everything that shows up is perfect, that everyone I connect with is meant to be in my life, and that every mistake I make is there for me to learn from, is something that's perfect for me. And to trust it and to go with it and be in the moment with it. And that's what healed me.
0: I love this. I love your story for so many reasons, Lillian. Just the fact that you're so open, honest, authentic. And I think so many people are going to be able to really resonate with this story. So many people on this planet are the doer, the perfectionist, the planner. And they think they have to have everything in order. And they're just not comfortable asking questions and pretending to know everything when, in fact, none of us know everything. And I just, you know, your your story about your, your journey with your illness that happened overnight, I know people who are suffering from aches and pains and illnesses. And I, too, went through um, a large period of time where I was diagnosed with so many things that were, quote, unquote, wrong And, oh, my doctors told me you'll never get off this medication, And like you, uh, on a slightly different journey. But when you can wake up and feel and and have the faith and the trust in the universe, as you said, um, thank you so much for sharing. So tell us, I would love to just kind of um, end our conversation with, share with my listeners a few of your adventures that you've been on that have been your favorites.
1: Well, um, I've talked about my trip, and thank you, Rhonda, for for all the lovely things you just said. Um, I I started my journey in my RV, and after the first six months, I came home to my home in Miami and had another massive epiphany, and that is that I did not want to live in Miami anymore. I didn't want to live in my home anymore. I didn't want to own the 200 pairs of shoes and every modern appliance and three TVs and computers. I just decided that I wanted to get rid of every earthly possession, except for my RV and what I could pack in it and take off permanently, or at least for the foreseeable future. And using my RV as a way to begin the journey, I eventually parked my RV and used some of my frequent flyer mileage points I had saved to fly off to Asia spent several months backpacking around Asia and staying in hostels, which is, again, something I had never done before, and not, <laughs> and not at this age. Certainly, maybe I thought as a kid I could do that, but mm-hmm. not as a grown woman. Um, and that led me to what I think became one of my favorite parts of this adventure is um, I was laying in a, in a hostel in Chiang Mai, Thailand, Facebooking with a girlfriend who travels around the world by boat. And I asked her, how do you do this? How do you get to travel all around the world on boats all the time? And she suggested that I make a profile page for myself on findacrew.net, which is a a, uh, website that allows captains of boats around the world to connect with people looking to be crew on boats around the world, and vice versa. Well, I told my girlfriend I have no experience in sailing boats or being a crew on a boat. And she said, that's not a problem, Lillian. Captains are looking for people who have all of the character traits you have. Willingness to work hard and do the dirty work, willingness to work as a team player, willingness to take orders from a from a captain, uh, the ability to um, to be flexible and free and and travel the world with very little belongings. So the things that you're up to, Lillian, are perfect. They'll teach you how to sail. So I thought, okay, why not? So I made a profile that night, and when I woke up the next morning, I had 68 captains begging me to choose their boat to go sailing on. (laughs) (laughs) So I was so blown away that I lost myself in that hostel for three days and sifted through all the different offers through Greece, through the South Pacific, through the Caribbean, all over the world. And I uh, texted back and forth, I communicated with my top favorite five, um, I chatted on the phone with two, and I eventually picked one, a man who was sailing uh, around the South China Seas to the most remote Tambelan and Anambas Islands of Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, where basically these folks um, were living in little... Wooden shacks on the river, I mean, on the ocean, fishing with no electricity and just a hole in the floor that they used as the toilet, and they do not ever see white people. And I decided that's where I wanted to take off to with him. And this became the adventure of a lifetime, which turned into other sailing trips, other hiking trips around the world, and so much more. So it's been 27 months of RVing, sailing, And hiking in different parts of the world. And if I'm asked what's my favorite, my answer is always the fact that I don't have to pick one and make it Mm -hmm. my life. The fact that I get to do it all. That's my favorite. I love it. I love it. And you know what
0: I love about your, your last part here is the fact that your friend kept telling you to be willing and able, that you're open and you're able to do what somebody else is looking for you're and you're willing to do something new you're willing to do something different and you're willing to step outside your comfort zone because when we do that we bring so much into our space what's your story thank you
1: ron so, <laughs> thank you so much
0: <laughs> well and i have to let everybody know it has been a challenge for Lily and i to connect again uh with your travel and You know, unexpected things happen, but I want people to be able to live vicariously through your journey and your story. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, you and I had had a conversation last time, and I said this to you. So many people think that's the dream life that they want because, again, I live vicariously through you. However, I know that that's not feasible for me. Do you remember us having that conversation? Absolutely, I do, sure. Sure. Would you share more about that perspective? Because I think that's important. I want people to be able to connect with you and and watch you because it Mm -hmm. it brings joy to me to to see all these beautiful places that you go. But I'd love for you to Mm -hmm. share your perspective on what that dream is like for you versus somebody else.
1: Got it. Yeah, so um, what I find is that um, I tried doing a blog, but I was having a great, deal of difficulty with the fact that most of the wonderful places I go, there is no internet. And so I wasn't able to be consistent with my blogging and I gave up on my blog, although it's still available and anyone can go to it. Um, I decided instead that I would just intermittently, whenever I am connected again on on the grid, that I would post what I'm up to on Facebook. And in very short time, I've collected hundreds and thousands of followers on Facebook who say, many of them, that they're living vicariously through me. And I am, of course, flattered when people say that, and I'm honored and I'm humbled. Um, But I also know that there's very, very few people who have set themselves up in life to be able to do what I did. The majority of folks have uh, children, grandchildren, parents, family, husbands, Houses, mortgages, jobs, <laughs> whatever it is that has them in a space and time where they can't just walk away from everything and take off and travel the world the way I am as a gypsy, really truly 100% free of any commitments or roots whatsoever. Um, but what I do know is that when people watch my story and follow, they often reach out to me either in the comments under the posts themselves or in private Facebook messages, or emails, or text messages to me, and they share with me that something I recently did, some risk I recently took, or some insight I gained, or some connection I made, inspired them to take a risk in their life, or reach out and make a connection with someone they might not normally, or take a stand for something or let go of a fear or something shifted in their life as a result of something I'm up to. So even though I hear people saying they're living vicariously through me, I don't assume that most people wish that at all, really, that they could just drop everything and, and take off and do what I'm doing because that's not really what they've set themselves up for. And ultimately, that, that's not really what would make their dreams come true. But mm-hmm. they are shifting in their life and they are opening up and they are creating value and new possibilities by the space that I'm creating with the life that I'm living. And that really, really satisfies my need to continue to make a difference in the world. To continue to support people in stepping into their possibilities. Well, that is a beautiful way
0: to support people, and I can see how so many people, through watching your adventures, can reach out to you about taking those chances or um, trying something new. Now, I just want to go back to one thing. You did say, you know, you living as a gypsy, truly unconnected, untied down to anything, no commitments. Um, you know, previously I talked about uh, most people have the family, the kids, the mortgage, the jobs. So, where are you? Have you have you ever been married? Do you have children?
1: Well, I never wanted children, um, and so no, never had children. And I have never really been a person who felt like marriage was something that I needed or wanted. I happen to love being in love, and I've been madly, deeply, and wonderfully in love many times. I've had a 14-year relationship, a four-year relationship most recently, and lots of other relationships in between that I consider to have been the loves of my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just happen to think that it's possible to have more than one, and I Mm -hmm. believe that the duration or the longevity or the quantity of time spent in love with a person doesn't determine the quality of it or the impact Mm -hmm. that it has on my life. So I look at the cumulative um, effect of all the people I've been in love with and been in relationship with, and I say that I've had an amazing life as far as romance and commitment and love goes. I'm open Mm -hmm. and I'm still in relationship with different people at different times and in different ways and i don't really feel at this time that i'm missing out on having mm-hmm. that one person committed relationship i feel like i am my love tank is full by living the way that i'm living right now it works for me Oh, no,
0: I I I can appreciate that. And having long-term relationships for whatever it was, for 14 years, is a beautiful thing. The only reason I bring that up is to just kind of reiterate what we were saying earlier about living that dream, how most people really haven't set themselves up because they've made those other choices. They've, you know, we've chosen the long-term relationships. We've chosen to have the families, which are those ties that really keep us kind of more in a place of not being able to be a gypsy in the terms that you are. So that's why so many of us are not set up to be um, traveling the world that you are, but yet we can live vicariously through you and be inspired by you and your journey. So thank you so much for sharing.
1: Yes. Thank you, Rhonda. I really appreciate you giving me a chance to share.
0: Of course. And I know at some point you're going to have some kind of fabulous book that we're all going to read one of these days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is the dream. And that is the dream. I would love to write a book
0: and share these stories. And you and I are going to talk more about that in the future. So for now, I want to just say thanks again for joining me. And I know people are going to say, well, where, where is she on Facebook? Just tell them how to find you on Facebook so they can follow you.
1: Sure. Um, so... I have pretty much all of my settings on Facebook are open, not private. Um, and I know that there's a limit to the number of friends I can actually accept before Facebook shuts me down. So although I don't accept every friend request, I always say, you're welcome to follow and comment, etc. Um, and my name, my full name, Lillian Perez. There are only two of us, my aunt and I. And my aunt, Lillian Perez has a third name, Tarragona. So it's not her. She's also a gypsy, and she lives in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, Mine is Lillian Santere, S as in sugar, A, N as in Nancy, P as in Peter, E-R-E. And um, if you put in a friend request, I'll usually write back a comment and share that with you. Either, yes, we can, I can accept the friend request, or please follow, but I'm unable to accept at the time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because she has so many people following her worldwide, that makes total sense. Well, again, Lindley, do you have any other last words to share with anybody before we close our time?
1: Um. Well, I will say that I do know, and I have met several families who uprooted their lives and took off and did the gypsy thing in an RV or traveling, you know, in different ways for periods of time, for a month or two, or. Indefinitely. So I just want to say, if it's something that really does call to someone to try the just living day by day, living in the flow, trusting the universe, there are people who are doing this, and many of them have become my friends along the way. Um, so it's not a it's not a for sure, not possible thing. If it's something you're really dreaming about, then you get to really look into how you, you could make that happen.
0: Well, You know, you're absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of my other guests just a few weeks ago... Uh, she was a guest on the show, shared their story. They were both in corporate and were working those crazy jobs. They have two small children. Woke up one day, said, this is really not what I signed up for. And they essentially did that. They have been living out of an RV now for, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 months or so, mm-hmm. uh, doing mm-hmm. homeschooling. It's really working for them right now. They both have their own jobs, or uh, their own businesses, and mm-hmm. they're making it work. So they also have that gypsy life don't know how long it's going to last, but you're absolutely right. And perhaps I need to connect all of you so
1: that you can, you know, uh, share your journeys together. Yeah, well, on the road, this is what we do. We gypsies, we tend to find <laughs> each other and share our stories, and that includes the families raising their kids, just as you said. Awesome. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, fantastic. And everyone, thank you so much for listening today, again, for A Balanced Life for You, where you design the life of your dreams. And if you like this show and you like the interview, please share it with somebody else because together we can make the world a better place. And Lillian, thanks again. And everybody, see you next time.
1: Bye, Rhonda.